HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. This week on Meet and 3, meet four of our HRN Hall of Fame inductees. These prolific individuals are writers who have changed the way we talk about food. We'll take a look at the journeys that shaped their literary voices. I was heading off into the unknown to spend my junior year of college in Paris. We'll explore the culinary landscape they work within. You know, it was that whole self-made American idea that you, you can just kind of create a new world from scratch, including a new way of eating. And look at the transformative effect that their work has on what we eat and where it comes from. It gets down to management deciding that humane handling is important. You've got to have management that cares. And if management doesn't care, then you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff. You can learn more about HRN's 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame at heritageradionetwork.org slash hall of fame. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world. About a million listens a month. And I know, we all know, that they love Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a really great news story that has recently been updated. I'm going to call it Grubhub Website Gate. Because <laughs> it sounds clicky and it's true. We're going to be talking with reporter Claire Brown, who is staff writer at the New Food Economy, about a story that she broke this summer that has some legs. Claire, thank you for coming. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to the amazing reporting that she did and uh, the noise and awareness that it created and the recent updates where Grubhub uh, sort of had to walk some things back, we will do like we always do. We'll go around the shipping container and we will talk about apps. Apps we love, new ones, maybe we've just discovered, old favorites that have been living on our home screen for 10 years, maybe? <laughs> I wonder what the... Do you, does anybody remember what the first app was that they downloaded? Do you remember the first app you downloaded? Matt? I... Our trusty engineer in Mission Control, who I can't see because he's sitting in the slice of wall. I'm in, I'm in the spot. You're um, in the spot. I, I cannot. I cannot remember that. I'm sorry. 
It's, it was it was way back. It was way way back. I I think I downloaded Words with Friends on an iPod. Okay. That was not a phone. Okay. It was great. Certainly, that would have been early. Mm-hmm. The Words with Friends. Mm-hmm. I can't recall either. I'd have to go back to. I have my original iPhone no one. Way. Yeah. In a box with a bunch of other iPhones and electronic stuff. I was a little late to the smartphone thing, so I feel like I should be able to, you know. Remember, remember this, but I, I can't. Well, do you remember what the last app was that you downloaded? What's your favorite app right now? <laughs> I was actually, I don't have that. Last I app. I don't have one for you right now. I had a question instead. Okay, fair, fair game. What? So, ever since Watergate, we call any scandal Scandalgate. Yes. And 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 by the way, I would propose Grubgate instead of you know that was a little, was a little verbose there, Jen. But, but it's the name of the company. I, I know. can't I can't bifurcate the name of the company. Fine. Point taken. But Plus, what we don't we... want to just point the finger at food, i.e. Grub. We want to point the finger at, you know, the evil empire, Grub Hub. And we certain, certainly wouldn't want to cause any negative marketing for the insect eating uh, companies out there. Yes. <laughs> um, but I do have a question, which is just like before pre-Watergate, when you wanted to signal this Scandal. is a scandal, what did we call it? Scandal. You, you, Oh, scandal. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. That, that's very <laughs> But I'm going to say scandal. Scandal. I'm going to say scandal. But if you look up gate suffix or hyphen gate or meaning of, there are a bunch of definitions for different dictionaries and things like that that will cite the whole Watergate thing and then hyphen gate becoming a suffix for anything scandalous. Or, yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, what was the first gate after Watergate? Um, you know what? I was actually looking at it Earlier today, when I was writing the show notes, to actually be precise, uh, I will look at. I will find it for you again. Anyway, that's it. I got no app. Sorry. Okay, you got no app game. All right, Claire, do you have an app that you really like right now? I don't know if this counts as an app, but uh, my friends have been downloading these stickers, these sticker packs that you can kind of put in your iMessages, and uh, one of my friends downloaded one called Skeletons Etc. And they're these kind of amazing skeleton stickers that hold houseplants and sweep and hide behind rocks. And they're really cute. Interesting. What do you, what do, you do with them? They're like large, intricate emojis. Okay. Large, how large? They're the size of like a photo, like in between the size of an emoji and a photo. Okay. So... Interesting. Is it, <laughs> it's technically not an app. Is it like a keyboard or something? I mean, you download it from the app store, but it doesn't show up on your home screen as an app, so I don't really know. I think it's just called a sticker pack. Sticker pack. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Have you downloaded it? No, I couldn't find it on the spot, so I downloaded one of, like, dogs making cool faces. <laughs> but no skeletons. No, I'm, a, you know, I was going to download one of the emoji makers, but then when I started reading what you have to do to install it and the access you give it and everything, I just didn't, <laughs> I haven't downloaded a lot of those newfangled emoji makers and things like that, because when you're going through and all the things you have to assign to it, I get a little hanky about it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But you know what? I already have like the big Facebook and Instagram and those are probably... The worst ones, anyway. <laughs> Along with Amazon and Siri, like after that, you know, what else is there? So, speaking of online and apps, 
Claire wrote a very interesting story for the new food economy. And if you want to follow along at home or work or play or wherever you are listening to this podcast, thenewfoodeconomy.org. The article was published on June 28th. Grubhub is buying up thousands of restaurant web addresses. That means mom and pop can't own their slice of the internet. It sounds very incendiary, this whole idea. Tell us how you first stumbled onto the information that Grubhub had in fact bought up upwards of 28,000 restaurant URLs. Yeah, so I'll preface this by saying that I had read a rumor in, I think it was the Tribeca Citizen, which is like a small neighborhood publication like two or three years ago. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And it kind of lodged itself in my brain. And then, of course, I couldn't report it out, forgot about it. And then um, about a month ago, probably a little bit more than a month ago, um, the city council held a hearing on the delivery app. So they invited executives from Seamless Grubhub, Grubhub owns Seamless, and from Uber Eats to come answer questions in front of restaurant owners and council members. And there was a restaurant owner sitting next to me who was kind of just telling me about her issues with Grubhub in one of the lulls in conversation. And she mentioned that she had gone to start a competing order delivery process on her own site, and she had never even set up a website for herself. And she went online to try and register the domain name and found out that it was taken. So she was like, oh, I'm sure it's just someone random. I'll figure out their name, write to them, they'll give it to me. And then she went in and and she used one of these lookup search engines, and she found that the owner of the, the domain name was Grubhub. So it didn't stick out to me that much during the interview, but I got back to the office. That's and not I was coincidental, like, though. And I'm sure the name mean? of the restaurant was very specific. It was very specific. And, and I was, you know, I, I it kind of stuck with me. And I, I went back to the office and I thought, you know, I... I didn't catch like enough of the name of her restaurant in my notes to look up her specific URL. And there are all these variations like restaurant Brooklyn, restaurant Queens, restaurant Manhattan anyway. Um, So I did it backwards and I looked up, first I looked up Seamless and I was like, you know, how many domains have they registered? And uh, it was something like 9,000. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, it... I thought the same because you you expect companies to register several, right? Like you want seamless.com, you want but order for their seamless.com. Own, you expect companies to register multiple websites for their own company. You don't Correct. expect them to register thousands of websites for other companies yeah. that are their customers. So it became very clear as I started kind of looking up, you know, restaurants I thought might correlate with these URLs that these were indeed very real restaurants and there were thousands of them. And then of course I looked up Grubhub and there were way more. So combined they had, I think probably 30,000. Um, and that was pretty interesting. (laughs) So, um, you know, I called this person back and said, wow, yeah, this thing that happened to you seems to have happened to a lot of people. And that's kind of how the story got started. So what's the difference between what Grubhub and Seamless were doing, registering restaurant URLs, and say when Google generates a Google page for a business? So a 
Um, if you are a business owner and there is a Google business page in your name, you are allowed to claim it. And they kind of have this verification process where they send you a postcard or they call you on the phone and they verify that the person who owns the restaurant is uh, in control of this directory listing. And then you can adjust the phone number, you can adjust the website, you kind of have control over that slice of the internet. Um, when a company that is providing you a service registers your domain name, uh, first of all, you definitely don't have control of it, regardless of whether or not uh, you know that they did that on your behalf. So it it opens up room for Grubhub to do things like publish a dummy website on that URL that includes a number that actually is routed through Grubhub. So they will then get a commission from anyone who stumbles on that phone number. So backtracking to the city council, was it a, the city council meeting, the community mm -hmm. board meeting you were at? What was the topic of conversation between the delivery services and the restaurants? What types of questions were they interested in asking the delivery services or what was the, what was the focus of the meeting? So uh, the, there were a lot of questions about whether or not Grubhub has a monopoly. I know that Seamless and Grubhub do more than half of the uh, delivery orders in the city, and so that was a major point of contention among restaurant owners. There was another practice that's gotten a lot of attention recently um, that probably got the lion's share of the airtime, which was Grubhub's practice of charging restaurants commissions for orders made through the phone. So basically so this tracks through to the phone number on the websites. Yes, they're, they're connected. So what happens when you call the number that's listed on Grubhub is that's not actually the restaurant's phone number. That is a number that forwards to the restaurant. So then Grubhub records the call and, um, they have an algorithm that determines whether or not that actually led to an order. So I think, you know, at the hearing, they said if it's more than 45 seconds, they weren't really willing to share other parameters. They were basically being asked questions about false positives. So restaurants were complaining that they had been charged for phone calls that asked, you know, are you open? Can you seat a table of six? Can I change my order to add extra ketchup? And the Grubhub executives were saying that it was the responsibility of the restaurant owners to go back and audit all of those phone calls to make sure that they weren't getting charged extra. And what type of monetary value are we talking about with these commissions per phone call? So the standard Grubhub commission can be anywhere from like 15 to 30 plus uh, percent. I'm not sure. Grubhub has since claimed that the percentage made from phone commissions is smaller, but they have not provided any specifics on that. So I'm not certain whether it's the same commission as if you go through the app or whether it's a slightly lower commission. But they did say that they made uh, $22 million on phone commissions last year. So it does add up. It's a, it's a tiny proportion of their overall commissions, but you know, $10,000 to a restaurant is very different from $10,000 to Google or Grubhub or a, a big tech company. Wow. So a restaurant signs up with Grubhub. Mm -hmm. Grubhub creates the restaurant page within the Grubhub universe. Mm -hmm. 
There is a phone number listed. That mm-hmm. is not the restaurant phone number. That's a Grubhub number. And then when consumers call that number, Grubhub owns it, and then they charge the restaurant. Yeah, and when you think about it in Grubhub's app, it kind of makes sense because part of Grubhub's claim about their value to restaurants is that they are a marketing service. So the idea is like, if I had stumbled onto a new restaurant via um, an app that was charging the restaurant for marketing services, then of course they should get the commission because they were responsible for the discovery of that restaurant. The problem is that a lot of restaurant owners say that people just use Grubhub, even if they're regulars, even if they're returning That's customers. A phone book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, with the shadow websites, which are the, the pages that we found the company had set up and, and used its phone numbers on, it just adds another layer of um, discoverability that kind of puts a finger on the scale for a consumer to find that restaurant via a Grubhub owned piece of internet content so if a consumer is going to have natural discovery of a restaurant outside of the app and outside of the grubhub universe grubhub is gaming the system as to whether or not that person's going to fall on a different listing or even the restaurant's own website Mm -hmm. and and funnily enough actually um grubhub purchased yelp's delivery platform and there was a story that came out today in vice that actually said and i don't know if it was all or sub or what proportion of restaurant phone numbers on yelp are actually the grubhub Grubhub phone numbers numbers as well interesting yeah wow Mm -hmm. so they published the the yelp delivery service the yelp platform itself is still independent no grubhub purchased e24 which was oh yeah 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 i mean yeah they purchased yelp's delivery spinoff spinoff that's a lot of, uh, I'm going to use air quotes, which you can't see in the, uh, on the radio, but that's a lot of marketing. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of marketing that maybe isn't necessarily marketing. A lot of restaurant owners I've spoke to have made the same point. They say, you know, we signed on to get extra customers, but because, you know, they have so many subway ads and they're everywhere, they're so ubiquitous that this weird thing happened where their regulars started using Grubhub to make their orders. Right. So, you know, big catering orders that used to call in and be this, you know, kind of thing that kept the restaurant afloat during the winter, all of a sudden are ordering through Grubhub. And that means a third of the money goes to the platform. So I I think there was some, uh, it's a little bit of a story of unintended consequences for restaurants who were hoping it would be kind of this miracle product for them. So we are going to take a quick break, but stay with us because after the break, we're going to get to the next leg of the story, which is Chuck Schumer getting wind of it and calling for a federal investigation, which we love Chuck. We're going to take a quick break and find out who the sponsor is of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We keep our lights on out of the generosity of our members who are listeners like you grants and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. 
Tucked in a 640-square-foot shipping container space in the heart of Denver's Rhino neighborhood, Cart Driver is the perfect place to stop in for an Italian-style spritz, Prosecco on tap, and a wide variety of tinned fish. Open for lunch, dinner, community hour, and late night seven days a week, Cart Driver is here for you with fresh, domestically sourced ingredients, and above all, hospitality. Learn more at cart-driver.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on Heritage Radio Network, where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. We've been on the air since September 2015, which is not bad. We're going into year five soon. We're almost up to episode 200. But did you know Heritage Radio has been on the air for 10 years? This is our 10th anniversary, and we are having a special member drive this summer. We have lots and lots of amazing new pizza swag, pins and t-shirts. We also have bonbon chocolates from Fine and Raw, chef spices from Burlap and Barrel, and lots of other amazing things. Go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate or click the beating heart. You know, send us maybe what you would have ordered on, spent on Grubhub. You can help a nonprofit. And if you Designate your donation to Tech Bytes. I will send you something special along with my undying love. So we today are talking with Claire Brown, staff writer at The New Food Economy. If you want to follow her writing, she's at thenewfoodeconomy.org. And she broke a very interesting story about Grubhub that had basically bought up about 30,000 restaurant URLs and started posting up restaurant websites with menu prices, some accurate, some not accurate, and restaurant phone numbers, which were in fact Grubhub-owned phone numbers that forwarded to the restaurant so that Grubhub could take a nice commission off that call. When this came to light, there was a lot of additional pickup and additional reporting from the West Coast back to the East Coast, and it caught the attention of Chuck Schumer, which was the next installation of her story, which she published on July 15th. So tell us about Chuck <laughs> and the next part, the next, the next episode. Yeah. So he held a press conference where he made a couple of interesting points. He um, said that he had asked the Small Business Administration, which is a independent federal agency, to look into uh, two practices that had caught a lot of attention in the press. One was the one that was covered in depth at the hearing, the phone call ordering commissions, and one was the uh, practice of purchasing websites. And I should add that Grubhub has maintained that it got explicit permission from restaurants to set up these sites and that it was, it never did anything wrong and that it has always um, transferred websites back to people upon their request. I've heard some restaurants who beg to differ. Um, but anyways. Did they, did they indicate where and how that explicit permission came from? Or is it buried in like 20 pages of user agreement like when you sign up for an app? <laughs> um more like the latter, I saw a version of the contract, which I believe changes somewhat frequently, and it was a very simple, bare-bones, three- or four-page contract. Um, it's 
a lot of it is handwritten, but then on the last page, you kind of check a box that says, I went to this URL and I read all the rules. And so um, the URL, when I typed it in, had been updated because they say that they do not do that anymore, but presumably that's where that was. Interesting. So what happened as a result of Chuck's press conference? So he basically told Grubhub CEO very publicly that he wanted some changes or, um, you know, I think he threatened to get the FTC involved. I'm not sure. He, But it was basically kind of an opening volley. It was a little bit of political pressure on the company to change its ways. So the initial restaurant owner that you spoke with, um, she remains anonymous because, and you know, it's interesting, a lot of restaurant owners who talk about Grubhub and Seamless want to remain anonymous because they're fearful of repercussions. Mm-hmm. One of the first shows that we did back in, 25, in September of 2015, Tech Bytes episode 31, it's titled, Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And we were talking about Seamless and Grubhub, which were two separate entities back then. And whether they were beneficial or not for restaurants. And I had two independent restaurant owners come on and they both spoke anonymously because they were concerned. And neither of them thought Grubhub and Seamless were good things for their businesses. Yeah, and just to draw out for listeners a little bit more why we ended up granting anonymity in our story. uh, Essentially, for restaurants within the Grubhub app, search rankings are everything. So if you search Italian food in Bushwick, you're going to expect Roberta's to come up. But these restaurant owners were concerned that if they went on the record, something mysterious would happen within the algorithm and they would drop to the bottom of the pages. To give people a sense of of framework, I, I don't know what the current numbers are, but at the time when we were doing the Tech Bytes episode, there were upwards of 6,000 restaurants listed in New York City in Mm -hmm. the five boroughs. So I'm going to assume it's a few more than that now. Mm -hmm. So the only way you get to the top of the listing is either to pay for that or have people look for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And and they're a little bit... um, 6,000 is a lot of keep scrolling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they're not totally transparent about how that kind of discovery function works. And I I think it's used a lot on the website. People are wondering, you know, what is available around me? Um, And, uh, you know, anecdotally, I think folks say appearance and search results may have something to do with the kind of marketing commission you're willing to accept. I think the the company was not really clear on that in the hearing, but um, yeah, the reason that Shivani, we used her first name, did not want to go on the record was that being on the first page of the search results for her neighborhood was kind of everything for her business, and she just did not want to jeopardize that. So while this, if you're a consumer and you're listening to the story or you're reading the story... It doesn't sound like a good business practice, what Grubhub is doing, charging people for calls that they set up. They're sort of gaming the system, you know, basically cyber squatting on restaurant websites. You know, if permission, no permission, that seems sort of a little gray. What's the bottom line cost to the restaurants, though, which is the piece that I don't know that consumers, when they read these types of stories, are 100% aware of what the impact is to the restaurant. 
so for the two restaurants who came on this show, they talked about how restaurant profit margins are very small. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a 15 or 20% profit margin at the end of the day. And that Seamless and Grubhub were taking a 20 to 30% commission on each order. And I asked very clearly one of the owners, well, if your profit is 20% and you're paying a 20 or 30% commission, how do you make money? And his answer was, I don't. And I asked him, why are you on the site then? And he said, because he felt like he had to be. So you're, the, these stories are you know, interesting. They're great. They're you know, shining a light on something that you know, the, the restaurant customers, the customers to Grubhub and Seamless may not have been aware of. Does the consumer public who's using the delivery service, what should their takeaway be from this? You know... I was somewhat heartened by the consumer reaction to our story. Uh, They certainly read it with great interest. Um, We got a lot of Twitter feedback from people saying, you know, how can I uh, order from a restaurant in the best possible way? You know, I think there's a lot of interest in supporting restaurants. You know, I, I think people don't really think about delivery platforms as being a net negative or a net positive for restaurants. I have to say before I started reporting on platforms, I didn't really think about them at all. I was like, this is how you order food. And uh, I was quite surprised (laughs) to realize um, what happens in between. But, you know, I think the best, the most restaurants have told me the best way to order delivery is to just call the best available phone number. And again, that's not on Grubhub and it's not on Yelp. It's on the restaurant website and place your order the old fashioned way. Place your order the old fashioned way. Maybe you have to give somebody your credit card number again. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a convenience element where people do things because they can't be bothered to enter their credit card information again or wait on hold. We're so used to a very instantaneous, um, you know, instantaneous process for purchasing things and acquisition. But the restaurant owner in your story had a $8,000 monthly bill from Seamless. And that was basically for the privilege of taking orders and phone calls. And that $8,000 was probably very close to her profit margin. Yeah, you know, the way she described her kind of economic situation was that, you know, they were profitable before Grubhub. Um, They joined the platform and they got a lot more orders, but it, um, they got a lot, they were doing much higher volume and they were making a lot more money at the beginning. And then uh, very, very gradually they began to fall behind. And, you know, they were missing utility payments and they started missing vacations and they were like we don't know what's changed we're just as popular as ever we have just as many customers as ever if anything we have more customers than we used to it's not the food it's not the hours not the location that's all stayed the same and there are a couple other factors like i think new york city is getting more expensive but she uh kind of stumbled upon this whole story when she started looking more and more closely at her receipts from grubhub which she had kind of just been paying like another bill, like another utility. And she realized they'd kind of been going up and up and up in all these different ways over time. Wow. I wonder if consumers would continue to use delivery platforms if they knew or realized that, in fact, it's the restaurant paying for the service. 
It reminds me very much of the um, big New York Times story a few years ago, the investigative piece. It was a two-part series about nail salons. Oh, yeah. And a lot of great reporting, a lot of heartbreaking situations for the women who are working in some of the nail salons. Not all of them, but some of them. And one of the points that the reporter made was if you if you see a service that's performed by a person and the price is insanely low, what's the value of that person's time that's doing it? And then think about what kind of money that person's making if you know that a large portion of that needs to go to the house. So if you see a manicure pedicure for $25 and there's a person providing that service, $25 is not a lot. Mm -hmm. So then how does that split out? So consumers don't pay to use the delivery services. Mm -hmm. It's not a charge for them. Mm -hmm. Seamless certainly is not paying the restaurant for the service. Mm -hmm. So who's actually paying for the delivery service? Well, it's the restaurant. Mm -hmm. I wonder if people knew that, you know, like the the restaurant owner in your story had an $8,000 bill and was, or the restaurant owner on the episode of Tech Bytes, he said he was basically making 80% mm-hmm. on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Would that change people's behaviors, even though it's so convenient, if they knew they were potentially driving community businesses into, you know, I was going to say into the ground, but that might be a little drastic. But certainly restaurant economy being what it is today, certainly, you know, helping along with restaurants making it more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I truly don't know the answer to that. When I'm ordering delivery, it's, well, since that story, I haven't really ordered delivery, but it, it's very rare, and I'm usually sick or really, really busy. You know, it, delivery is in and of itself I don't think a delivery, convenience. Yeah, I don't think delivery unto itself is the issue. Yeah. It's the service that you go through and then who's mm-hmm. paying for that service. And when you're layering convenience on convenience, it's hard to shed one of those layers of convenience once it's already in place. Mm-hmm. The restaurant, One of the restaurant owners on the show said that there were people who were ordering from the building that the mm-hmm. restaurant was in. <laughs> and if they had just like stopped by and ordered or, you know, called or, you know, they would, they had a, they have a phone, they're happy to take orders. You know, they had delivery on their website. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of heartbreaking for him to deliver something to somebody who's literally like 500 feet away mm-hmm. and lose money on it. Yeah. Yeah. So the next piece of the story, which is success just published very recently, last week. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, Friday, August Friday. 2nd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grubhub announces reforms. <laughs> Exciting times. What happened? Yeah, so... Uh, the first thing they did, which is directly related to my story, is that um, they announced that they will be setting up a system for restaurants to claim ownership of those URLs that Grubhub registered. So presumably it's going to be some kind of streamlined system where a restaurant can go in and say, this is me, and then somebody on the other end approves it, and then it's the seamless ownership transfer. Pun intended. (laughs) Um, Is there a timeline for that website to become available? I don't don't believe a timeline was announced last week. I would have to check on that. Um, 
we will definitely be keeping an eye on it. And we're looking to hear from folks who are having experiences with that. Um, the other thing that they announced was that they are going to expand extend the look back period for restaurants who want to audit their phone commission orders. So in the past, you've been able to look back for 60 days and say, you know, these, this hundred dollars was an overcharge or whatever. They're, they're expanding that to about four months. Um, you know, city councilman, Mark Gonadge, who held the first hearing came out and said, great but these these are not real reforms basically he said we're looking to see a lot more um so i think we're not really at the end of the line here do you have some stories on deck for your next chapters with this has that spurned some interest in looking into some of the other restaurant platforms for consumers yeah i'm i'm kind of doing some exploratory reporting in in all of them right now and and also you know hovering above all of that what kind of an influence google plays in the whole ecosystem does net neutrality figure into that also in terms of when you're searching for a restaurant website, if you get the Grubhub one or if you get the restaurant one? Uh, you know, I like search engine optimization, I think, is is really fascinating, especially with Google. And that is not something that I have really waded into a whole lot, though I think it certainly plays a role. Fascinating. So you are looking into some other restaurant web platform ideas do restaurants have a way of getting in touch with you or tech companies have a way of getting in touch with you <laughs> always um i am available on twitter at h claire underscore brown or via email at claire dot brown at newfoodeconomy.org and i would love to hear from restaurants who have interesting experiences with the platforms i wonder if some of the companies that build restaurant websites for restaurants have a point of view about this. We've had a couple different people on the show as guests. One is Crystal Mobayani, who's the CEO of Bento Box, which builds restaurant websites. And we also had um, the CEO of a company called Slice, Ilar, who Slice Life is a marketing platform and website platform for mom and pop pizza shops mm -hmm. to sort of create some equality online for them to be able to compete with the dominoes of the world. Mm -hmm. And they have very strong feelings about restaurants being able to own their own website and their platform and their information mm -hmm. um, and be able to manage that as, as easily as possible because it is so important. One of the, Crystal's been on a few times on the show and one of the things that she said very clearly was when a restaurant has their own website, the consumer is then having a relationship with the restaurant. Roberta's has a website. People go to Roberta's, people call, they order. They're having a relationship with Roberta's. If I go to Grubhub and I search Brooklyn Pizza and then I just take whatever comes up, I'm having a relationship with Grubhub. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about building customer loyalty, customer interest, who owns the the all of the data about the customer, it makes a difference. And people don't necessarily realize um, because maybe they think that, well, they're ordering pizza from the same place all the time. But mm -hmm. if they disappeared, would they? If they disappeared from that first search page or top 10, would they continue to do that? Yeah, and, and I, for one, don't remember the name of every great pizza slice I ever have, you know? <laughs> it's not always easy to find, even if you're looking... So what was the thing that surprised you the most about reporting this story over the past few months? 
I was surprised uh, first by the existence of all of these domain name registrations. Uh, 30,000 is a lot. I mean, there had to have been at least one, if not several people (laughs) getting that done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I have some indication that it was uh, systemic. Yeah, that. And um, another thing that surprised me was there was a lot of cold calling that I had to do to restaurants because I was working backwards. I found their name on these lists and then I would work backwards and call them and say, hey, do you know this is happening? And a lot of them, I'm not sure, grasped um, the situation fully. Like a a lot of people were like, yeah, I don't have a website. That's a website. Now I have a website. You know, a, a lot of them, I think, were not particularly uh, interested in their online presence at all, um, which is, you know, not something you come across that often when you're reporting about tech. And they maybe didn't understand the value or the importance of who owns that platform. Right. Which is interesting. You know, owning a restaurant, especially if you're an independent operator and you have one place, it's a really tough, difficult business. And people usually start it because they make a great pizza and they want to make pizza for people. Mm-hmm. And running a business used to be so much easier in one sense. You turned on the lights, you turned on the gas, you fired up the pizza oven, you made sure you had a phone <laughs> and that you were in the yellow pages. And then you kind of t- went off from there. Mm-hmm. Um, restaurant, you know, margins haven't gotten any bigger, but there are certainly more line items mm-hmm. for restaurants to consider. And the delivery platforms are such that we've had a, a guest on the show uh, who works at a company called It's a Checkmate. Um, and it's a checkmate is a platform that funnels all the delivery service information into one pipeline and then feeds it into your POS system. Mm -hmm. Because now if you're a restaurant and you are using 10 different delivery platforms, you have 10 different tablets Mm -hmm. sitting on a counter, each one bringing in its own orders. So this way they all go into one feed, then go into your system, which is, something that did not need to exist five years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it it is certainly um, a rapidly changing ecosystem out there. And I think just this week, DoorDash bought Caviar from um, Stripe, I think, or Square, one of those companies that, you know, kind of just... Square, I think. Yeah. Is the... Online delivery service platform, digital restaurant, David and Goliath story going to be your fall this year? Are you really focused on this story or do you have other stories on the horizon that you're tracking and interested in? Because this one is definitely a rabbit hole that could, just, that could become, you know, the next five years of your career. Oh, I've learned. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in continuing reporting on, on this subject matter. Um, Again, I'm often at the mercy of the news of the news cycle, but um, Aren't this, we is, all? this is definitely um, an area of, in, of interest for now. It's it's really fascinating, and I think, I mean, you're a reporter, so you're reporting information, and you're not an op-ed writer. But I do think that if consumers had a better sense of what exactly the transactional nature is between restaurants and the delivery companies. And if they really understood that it's their favorite little restaurant that's really paying for them to have the luxury of the delivery, you know, people who are so vocal and passionate about uh, transparency and supporting local businesses and building local community, 
when you give your money to Grubhub and Seamless, that doesn't go back into your community. That goes to where the stockholders are. Yeah, I, I think one of the most poignant examples we run across of a of a restaurant trying to make exactly that case was a story um, we ran, and I didn't write it, I can't take credit for this, back in 2016, I think. Um, and it was about this restaurant in Bed-Stuy, which has since closed, that was slipping little notes in its uh, delivery containers that said, please stop ordering from Seamless. It's really killing us. Just call the phone number. Wow. And they ultimately went under. <laughs> they did. It was a great spot, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Really heartbreaking. Well, keep getting the word out. We'll keep getting the word out. Restaurant people, call in, email. Um, lots of stories to tell. I think people just need to be aware. And it is hard because it is so omnipresent that... It seems so easy and we're so isolated from what happens after you hit that button on your phone and you tap that app. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much about this real convenience digital economy that is really detrimental to businesses and to people. The New York Times had a great um, story and podcast on The Daily a while back about conditions in some of the delivery fulfillment centers mm -hmm. for some of the larger online companies. And conditions are terrible yeah. in them. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't really think about that when we're hitting next day delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a great, timely episode. I really want you to stay in touch with us and keep us posted on updates Maybe we can put together a roundtable about this. Mm -hmm. um, it's a subject that we've been interested in for a long time, and I think it's an important one. Claire, I want to thank you for coming out to Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn and sharing the latest updates with your story. Thanks so much. Tech Bytes is broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, your host and producer. Matt Patterson is our engineer. Our theme song, Nomad a CPU Track, is by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN and on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.